So it's been said that um, if Mark Twain actually said all the quotes that had been attributed to him, he would have had to speak nonstop for about 50 years. I think it was Mark Twain that said that. Wait for it. Here's a quote from Mark Twain that I think he actually said. What a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long, the mill of his brain is grinding and his thoughts, not those other things, are his history. I think maybe he might be onto something because he happened to reflect something that the Bible says. That um, what you think is actually who you are. And the mind is this wild thing, the human mind. It's an amazing contraption, what it's capable of, what it does, what it's doing at this very moment. Your mind is doing stuff. For some of you, you are far away. You haven't heard a word I said. Your mind is doing stuff. It's active. And the mind is a control center for your true self. It, the Bible uses that word mind interchangeably with the person's heart sometimes. It's the, the center of who we are. So if that's true, what you think and the way you think is the true determiner of who you are and how you are right now. And much more than our circumstances that come from outside, much more even than our behaviors, even though they follow our minds often. And if that's true, then, then it's also true that our thoughts, what's going on here, is actually in, it, it's, it's integral to what is really the degree that we'll experience of some things that Paul the Apostle really, really wants you to have. And when he writes the, the letter to the Philippians, we've been studying it, and I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible or access to one. We're in Philippians 4 today. This letter to a church he'd planted. He planted. We're going to see the culmination of it next week. Uh, we have two more weeks left in this. But next week he's going to actually say the phrase, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of having a contentment in my life. And he talks more than any other, thing, any other book of the Bible, any other focus. He talks about, the, he longs for people to experience joy. He says you can have it. You have an eternal contentment he's going to talk about. If, the, if it's true that our thoughts are the center of that, then our thoughts are the biggest factor that come into play on whether we experience it or not. We've been talking about how Paul says he presents a, a, a triplet of truths to us about God. And you've heard us say it over and over again that at the center of this thing is, is these things that he culminates in, he, he presents in verses 1, 6 and others where he says, these things are true about the Lord being near you. We talked last week that God is good. God is in control. God will prevail. And if you can let that soak into you, get through your circumstances, through your emotions, and cut into you, it will actually have this wild effect on you. The effect it's going to have is going to, is going to go through your mind, through your thoughts. And so we get to Philippians 4, 8, and 9, and I don't think that these are inserted separately from the rest of his theme. Because he says, finally brothers he's going to bring a conclusion but he's going to draw them to something that says there's some important things that you can be about that you can have an effect on that what's happening inside this head of yours 
that are going to have a direct effect on this whole experience I'm calling you to that I've found the secret of. So I'm just going to read it to you. And, and this gets quoted sometimes, and it's a nice list. And let's, we, I hope it'll be more than a list for you today. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me, put it into practice. And he's going to say the God of peace. He's been talking about having peace. And the God of peace is going to be with you. Remember what he just said earlier. The Lord is near. So let's back up for a minute and talk about the phrase. He says, think on these things. There's a, an active process that he's going to call us to. Think on these things. Now, I'm going to, I, I need this dumbed down for me a little bit, so I'm going to dumb it down for you just because it's, it's much more complex than this. But this is when studies are done on how thoughts happen in the human brain, how, what thought formation is about, this is a, a kind of the, the layman's way of explaining how that happens. That thought formation, okay, so if we're called to think on things, we're supposed to form some thoughts. So think on it means thought formation. And here's what happens in your life. Sound and light waves are present, present themselves to you and some, some other, through your senses. Things come into you through your senses, mostly sound and light waves from outside. There are impulses queries ideas that germinate from within your brain inside your mind okay so those impulses and those sound and light waves come in when they come in you whether you're whether you're conscious of it or not you sort and you choose which of those sound and light waves you are going to allow access and to what degree they talk about lightning when lightning forms up in high altitudes they say the electrical charged stuff non-science okay it actually forms around objects so that, these, so that these charged things come and they'll find rocks and rocks will explode at high altitude because lightning doesn't strike it. Lightning forms around it. So the, it's some, something similar happens in our thinking, in our, in our minds, that the sound and light waves come in and they form around something. So you suit, sort and you choose which of those are, you're going to allow access to. Then you assign a relative value to them meaning to them, duration that they're going to last in your consciousness, the level of focus you'll give to each. So some of those sound of light waves you'll quickly dismiss. They'll go on by. Some get stored, some get digested or lingered upon. So it's said that you have between 50 and 70,000 thoughts in a day, which averages out to 35 to 48 thoughts in a minute of your waking day moment. Which means it, at any given moment, you might say, I feel warm. I wonder what I'll have for lunch. Is that somebody I know? Squirrel. Okay, all those are like <laughs> individual things going on and they process. And then what, but what happens as you assign value to them, duration to them, you linger upon them, then you absorb into yourself into your core into your heart into your character degrees of an accompanying effect that they have there's like a charge to them there are some that are negatively charged there are some that are positively charged and they come into you they have an effect they they affect your core self so they then affect your character 
They affect your beliefs. They affect your perspective, your opinions. And again, each one has a a negative or positive charge to it. They're constructive or they're destructive. The Bible talks about thoughts, evil thoughts, good thoughts. And then they manifest themselves in your attitude. Your attitude comes out of what your perception is and your perspective and your opinion. They, They manifest themselves in your words or in your choices and your behaviors. Until this becomes true, it's attributed to, uh, I think, uh, somebody named Frank Outlaw, who I don't think is an actual person. It comes from different places, but you might have heard this phrase. Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Now, here's something that is true. So so he's, so Paul's going to say, I, I'm going to, give you some stuff i want you to think on it's a prescription here this is going to have an effect on your level of joy and peace contentment you're going to i'm asking you to think on some things but here's one more factor we need to before we look at the list we need to understand about how thoughts happen in our heads god says something about your whole mechanism because you are live a living breathing human being who carries around a disease the disease is sin. You did not have to choose it. You were born with it. It's hereditary. Thank you again, Adam and Eve. It's been carrying through. It is the disease that separates us from God. It is the disease that sends us to hell if we don't know him. It is the disease that will contaminate every part of our lives. And the Bible says that disease permeates your brain. It permeates your mind. So that our brains, without us doing anything, will instinctively contaminate the thoughts that come in to and the signals that come into our heads this is not good news but it's true and so we see in in all through the bible but this one's well known in jeremiah 17 9 it says the heart okay used interchangeably with the mind here the inner core of who we are it's deceitful above all things okay there's all of all the things in the world that are just ingrained it's just infected your heart your mind carries that above all things is there anybody who can understand it the implication is no ecclesiastes 9 3 says it this way the hearts of men moreover are full of evil there's madness in their hearts while they live jesus talked about that when he was talking about what what makes somebody pure or impure clean or unclean is it what they touch is it the ceremonial law and he went on this is mark 7 he went on what comes out of a man uh is what makes him unclean not what goes into a man for from within out of men's hearts come evil thoughts he's going to give some examples sexual morality theft murder adultery greed mouth so some of those are behaviors but they start in your heart deceit lewdness envy slander arrogance and folly all these evils you know where they come from they come from inside and that's what makes a man unclean so it has been said, all sin begins in our thoughts. Have you ever noticed? And you say, well, man, that's an extreme statement, isn't it? Come on. People think nice things. Yeah. But it's all tied into myself. It's all tied into what I want. And there's some stuff that comes and I go, where in the world did that come from? Have you ever, how, ever noticed how often you have just horrible thoughts go through your head or am i the only one you know 
I mean, I was, I, I was born in New York City, and we were, rode the subways. My parents lived in Manhattan, or worked in Manhattan. We lived in Brooklyn. We rode the subways all the time. And I, and I remember as a kid, standing packed subways, you know, and, and, the, and the subway cars are coming and going. And I'd stand there, and I'd watch the things. And they always, you know, there's lines, and people stand back. And as a little kid, I used to sit there and have this incredible impulse to push somebody into the I, and I thought, and I was horrified, like, where's that coming from? That's just so evil. And I thought, well, and, and as I grew up, I, and we moved away, I'm thinking, man, I was such a perverse little kid. I'm sure glad Jesus came into my heart, made me all right. Last summer, we went back to New York City. We're standing in the subway. <laughs> and I kid you not, I'm sitting there, I think, wow, that would make a mess if that one went in. <laughs> oh, where does that come from? I don't want to answer the question, but I know where it comes from. There's something wrong in my thinking. I don't even, I don't have to try. It just comes out. And that's true for you too. We're not here to beat people up about the fact that we're a mess. We just admit it. And then we say, what are we supposed to do about it? And is it possible that I can be accepted by God, forgiven by God, and he can steer me towards something that is what he more intended me to do? That's what Paul's going to do. And he says it has to do with what's going on in your mind. And what he's going to say is that you have volition over which of the sound and light waves and the impulses you allow to form around something, which you allow to linger, and then which you you will absorb into your core. You have volition on that. That's why Romans 12.2 puts it this way. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but you can be transformed... And it happens by a renewal that happens in your mind. How's that happen? We're going to take a look at that. You heard Colin mention this verse at the start today, Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds, okay, set them on things above, not on earthly things. There's a volition involved with that. There is a choice we can make about what happens there. How do you set them? Think on, Paul says, these things at the end of verse 8. What things? We're going to take a look. I'm just going to pause on each of these words for just a a little bit, some more than others, and invite you and I both to think about what it looks like to consciously, consciously choose to find the sound and light waves and the impulses that we reflect these things and allow them to be the ones we absorb and the ones that we focus on, the ones that we that we process so that they, we absorb the positive charge of them in our lives. You ready? Here, so here's the first one. Brothers, whatever is true. Now the word there is aletheia. It's a very common word in the Greek for, for truth. But it really is a powerful one because it is referring to, an, to unchangeable absolute truth. Find that which is absolutely true. Or as it says, as, as scholars have written it this way, true, it means true as to fact. It denotes the actuality of a thing to reality. It is not saying, hey, make sure you tell the truth, which is a good practice. It's not what he's talking about here. Go out and look for that, which is absolutely true, and somehow ingest that. Let its sound and light waves come into your life. Find a way for that which is absolutely true. It is not to tell the truth or, 
or to what the surveyed popular truths are, but absolute truth. You know this as well as I do, that we live in a culture right now that is really, it's a phenomenon right now where the whole point of living to our fullest is called being true to yourself, right? Be true to yourself. Sounds so good. You know, find out what just you hold to or what you feel like or what makes you feel whole and be true to that. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to, don't, don't try to be something you're not. Just be true to yourself. There's a problem with that. God says, myself is a slave to sin. Myself is, in, is enslaved to, to that which is unrighteous. And I'm called to look at something outside myself to determine what's true. Did you hear that? It's not inside yourself where you find truth. There's some source outside yourself where there's absolute truth. And where the world says, well, there is no absolute truth. There is no fundamental thing. And God says, oh, no, there is. So much so that you need to go focus on it and think on, absorb, saturate yourself with, with that which is truth. Where do you find it? God says where you find it. Here's Psalm 119. All your words, God, your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. There is one source to find aletheia. One source in our universe. One and only one where absolute truth is found. It is what God has said. It is what God has revealed. You are holding truth in your hand if you brought a Bible with you today. It is the only absolute authoritative truth in the world. Oh, we have theories about things and we've got a whole lot of mathematical formulas and things we say, well, that sure seems truth. But if you want absolute truth, what God's talking about to saturate yourself with, that's where you find it. And the call is not just to own it and possess it or point to it and go, oh, no, I know where truth is. It's over there. It's to think on it, to allow the sound and light waves from it to come and to assign value to them, linger on them, absorb them, and let them have an effect because they will have an effect on us. The point is not that I go with my life and what feels true to me and then find a way to adjust what God says to my truth. No, what I'm called to do is find his truth and adjust my life to it. That's what Romans 3, 4 says when it says, let God be true. Okay, and the context of this is you're going to hear some stuff from God that you don't like. It's going to be uncomfortable to you. It's not going to be very popular. It's not going to be very politically correct. But find what is truth and let him be true. And everybody else who says it otherwise will then call them liars. It's not a popularity contest with God's truth. It's not, what, what do we all vote on this to decide if it's right or not? And so, he, and it quotes, quotes the Old Testament here, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge, talking about God there. There's, there's a truth there, and here's what's true, here's what we need to do with it. Regular exposure to it, it carries a cleansing effect on us in our th- through our thinking. It has a property to it that generates health to it. Jesus said in John 17, 17, he's, he's praying to the Father and he says, sanctify them by your truth. And then he says again, your word, it's your word, it's truth. Would you sanctify them through it? Cleanse them, set them apart, alter them from the inside out with your truth. Ephesians 5, uh, 26 says, uses that same kind of picture. Cleansing her, this is what Jesus does with his bride. Cleansing her by the washing 
with water through the word. What the truth that comes from God has an effect. Now it's summer, and some of you are going to go to the pool tomorrow, maybe if the weather holds out, or whatever. Have you been this weekend, right? Or have you been? And it reminds me, remind me of something. Being in the pool uh, this past week, and I saw a whole bunch of campers and stuff. It reminded me as a kid something this phenomenon that happened because I loved going to the pool when I was a kid. But there was an extra benefit of going to the pool, and that was my my, my mother really wanted us to get clean, right? That was just the thing of hers. She said you got to get clean, right? And, and we would go out and, and, you know, you just, dirt finds little boys. It does, it's like you could stand, you know, you go outside and the dirt just jumps on you. I don't know how this happens, but there, things would happen. So I would get like scuff marks and, and stuff underneath my fingernails. And my, my mom would say, you get clean under those fingernails. I don't know why. You get, you get an accident, you go to the hospital, they're going to look under your fingernails. They're going to charge us more if your fingernails are dirty. I don't know what the point was. And I would get, and I could not get the, my fingernails clean. I just couldn't do it. Or I'd be riding my bike or I was running around and I would fall and I would scrape my knee and I would get stuff, gunk and stuff in my, in my, you know, and we'd try to wash it out and try to clean it out and it never quite looked right. And then after a while, it'd get kind of, it'd get pussy and I'm sorry, I don't want to gross you out, but you need to understand this. And, and you get this gr- colors that turn and it would be kind of greenish, purplish, and then this pussy stuff come out and you don't want to touch it and clean it. And then we would go to the pool. And something magical happened. I didn't even have to touch those things. I would go play in the pool. We would go home from the pool and my fingernails were immaculate. I would look down and my whole sore was, it was pink and clean and there wasn't any pus and it was, it had this amazing effect. And yes, I know what you're thinking. And you left all that in the pool. Happy swimming this weekend but there was some effect that that had that by being saturated with this thing without even knowing it happened i didn't scrub at all i just allowed it just saturated me and somehow it worked this out is that the worst analogy you've ever heard about what the bible and the word of god will do in your life now but think about it god has given us a tool for our minds that says regular consistent exposure thinking on truth it's not just something you do because it's what good christians are supposed to do we could you know take a survey in your cell group how many people feel like they're reading the bible enough we're all kind of sheepish and embarrassed how many read the bible this week oh man oh man and we all feel this guilt oh i should do it i should do it why because you know it's just the right thing to do oh understand something the element that's given to you is not just because it's your spiritual duty. It's because it's a gift. God says, if you saturate yourself with his truth, it has an effect on you. It's sanctifying has an effect. Now, I'm gonna, not going to take as long on all these as that one. But the call of God is, okay, I, I'd like more peace in my life. I'd like more joy in my life. I'd like more contentment in my life. And, and Paul says, okay. Here's, if you want to contribute to that, what you bring into your mind, think on that. Find ways to make that part of what you, what you focus on. second word he uses here is whatever is noble. The word means worthy of uh, honor or respect. It, it kind of means it, that which becomes you as a man or as a woman. It, it's, think on something that it's sustained presence in your thoughts and in your life 
It makes you better the longer it's there. It makes you or the environment, the, the phrase that scholars say about this is it dignifies you by its presence. Those sound and light waves that come in, those impulses, if you linger on them, they will dignify the surroundings and they'll dignify you. And the question then that would ask is, when we allow, you're, you're allowing sound and light waves in right now, okay? You're deciding which ones you're going to listen to, which ones you're not, what you're going you're to make choices. Do those inspire reverence and awe in your life? Or does their presence tend to cheapen the dignity of people? Does it cheapen you? Does it cheapen others? Does it demean others? And I'm not going to pick on this too much today. I've done, done enough around here, but, but I will pick on it a little bit. We choose sound and light waves every day with our entertainment choices. What we're basically doing is granting audience to messages to come in. People representing philosophies, people giving statements, people saying things, and we do it through the medium of music, and we do it through the medium of games, and we do it through entertainment, television, movies, that kind of thing. And we need to uh, remember that there is no sound and light wave that we ingest that way that does not have an effect on us. Oh, it's having an effect. We could say, that stuff doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Oh, what's that mean? Well, it doesn't violate my conscience, or I don't feel like I linger on it. But you know what? Here's, the, here's what the sound and light waves do. Remember how thoughts work? You assign value and a place in their life, and they emit toxins in your soul. You don't even need to know that it's happening. Just the fact, what does it dignify human behavior or does it not? Does, does it, is it noble? Does it become men and women as God intended them? Psalm 101, you, if you've been around here, you've probably heard me refer to this before. I, I call this the media psalm. And I've encouraged people to take some of Psalm 101 and put it on their computer screens or, or tape it about, or on the televisions and think about this. And here's part of what Psalm 101 says. Look, I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate. They will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, they that, that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I'll put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. I'm going I'm to quote a, a, an author who I really like, Kent Hughes. He's been a pastor and an author. And in, in a book called The Disciplines of a Godly Man, he says, he says this. I'm aware of the wise warning is, warnings against using words like all and every and always in what I say absolutizing one's pronouncements is dangerous but i'm going to do it anyway here it is it is impossible for any christian who spends the bulk of his evenings month after month week upon week day in and day out watching the major television networks or contemporary videos to have a christian mind this is always true of all christians in every situation okay he said it. You may or may not agree with the, the extremes of that, but you know what? I'm going to tell you that I feel like that's more true than not. If I'm just honest. 
with myself. Find what is noble and invite those sound and light waves into your brain. What that means is reject that which is not. It goes on, next word, whatever is right. And that word is upright. It's highest ethical ground man to man. What it means is like how people relate to each other. It means to be to, to let your thoughts about how your interchanges with people elevate them, treat them with respect. Fair, being fair and accurate and no corner cutting or scheming or manipulating in how you think about situations or people or what they can do in your life. And I, got, I, I was almost just ran right past this one. I, thought, no, that one's, I got that one. I'm pretty good with that one. And then this week something happened in my head that I thought, oh, oh, that's what that is. We had an, uh, uh, an exchange we wanted to make. Uh, somebody had given us, uh, I think it was like a book on tape or disc, and it had never been opened, but we didn't know what store it had come from. And so we went into a bookstore to see if we could exchange it for one that we would prefer. They say, oh, you have to talk to this one department. We go to that department. We ask the person, and, and they say, well, do you, you don't have a receipt. You don't know. It was given to us, you know. And, and we were told, well, I'm sorry, we can't do that. And here's what happened in my head. I found myself thinking, okay, I'm going to size up the situation, and I'm going to figure out a way, what can I say that I could kind of get this person to be on our side to kind of consider it again, to think about ways that we could be like, oh, we could do this. The whole time, what I'm doing there is I'm, is I'm, I'm not thinking about what ways, um, person to person. I'm thinking, how do I manipulate this person? And I'll tell you, I'm good at that. I, I can work it, man. I can, I can get people to do stuff sometimes. I can, make, I can make them feel terrible about themselves until they help me. And so sometimes I'll use humor and sometimes I'll use shame and sometimes I'll use power up and I'll, I've got all kinds of little tools in my bag for how to do that. And I realize what I'm doing is in that, in that moment, I'm assessing that situation in my brain. I am doing that which not which is righteous in terms of how a person is respected. I'm doing that which is advantageous. I want to do what's, if, what benefits me. And I will tell you that I completely struck out. Made light of it, asked him to look something up, said, well, is there a way you can check this? Is there a way you check that out? And then it was kind of like, well, could you just do it, you know? <laughs> no, I shot down. I, I walked out thinking, I'm never coming back to this store again. There were thoughts going through my head at that moment that the screen test that I need for the sound and light waves and the impulses, if I'm affecting what God says to focus on, I need, my thoughts would shift into what, not what's advantageous to me, but what's right? There was nothing wrong about, they have a policy. We couldn't prove we got it there. I couldn't, I could have lied and said for sure we got it there. I could ask to talk to the manager and insisted, but none of that would have been right. I failed the test in that very moment. It tells me that dozens and dozens of times a day, I'm assessing the situation. I'm bringing these signals into my head and these impulses out, and I'm making decisions about which ones are going to linger and which ones are going to affect me. Has that ever happened to you? Okay, let's get the big one. It's the next one. Whatever is pure. Well, it's a big one. This literally means what's chaste or unstained. It talks about that which is ceremonially unstained, but it's especially used morally and sexually. That whatever is pure sexually 
is what we focus on. We put a sentry up about our lives against the impulses that come from inside and the sound and light waves that come from outside that we'd be sexual stimulants outside of God's prescription for my functionality. Very, very simply, outside the bonds and vows of my marriage, there is nothing in my life that is supposed to have the role of stimulating me sexually. That's what this is talking about. Whatever is pure sexually, that's what you focus on. Ephesians 5.3 kind of puts it this way. Among you, there should be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's people. And this is where we tend to think that our thoughts about our sexuality are a victimless crime. No one else knows. I'm not taking any action. I'm not doing anything about it. It doesn't matter if these thoughts go through my head. So pornography and lust and anything else that is a stimulant to me, I feel like, well, maybe that it's, I can indulge that because it's not a problem. But remember, this is what God's saying. Your thoughts always carry a toxicity to them. They always carry either a positive charge or a negative charge. Ask the honest question, does this input into my eyes or my ears or my hands or my mind does does this reflect that which is pure as god defines it we're in an election year and you're going to have a choice it's fourth of july and we're all proud americans and you're not going to hear us talk about who you should vote for and we're not going to talk because we because we have a king that we talk about not a president around here and the king is on the throne regardless who the president remember that there is a king and he is on the throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whomever you vote for or don't vote for. But in this election year, you will have a choice that will include one among the choices you have is whether we will build a wall or not. You've heard about whether a wall gets built. Regardless what you think about that wall, I want to use that because it's a very good picture. I believe that God says to, you, to us, I want you to build a wall. And this wall is a wall in your mind a wall that is impenetrable, a wall that walls out the sound, all, any sound and light wave or any internal impulse that, that, that entices you to any kind of sexual stimulation apart from that which God has given as a gift to us to be fully enjoyed and freely enjoyed in the bonds of man and woman in marriage. Build that wall. Let me just... Without lingering on it, let me just ask you to think about this. To think about this. What sound and light waves in this realm have been granted access into your control center? What have you allowed in? How would this apply to that? What pet thought or fantasy, maybe a recurring one that no one knows about, just you, and you don't think it's hurting anybody, but you kind of pull it out when you're feeling down or you feel like you crave something that you're not getting somewhere else. Some fr- it's free stimulation. God says, for God to have the full effect in our lives of making us joyful and free, having peace in our hearts, these con- conflicting signals build a wall. Do not let them in. Find accountability to keep them in. Find ways to, to catch yourself about it. Saturate yourself with God's truth and not the sources where they come from. 
Find a, a friend or partner, somebody from your cell group, a, another brother or a sister who can stand with you and say, I'm going to tell you when these impulses come. Let's ask each other about them. Because I want to think on that which is pure. Here's the next one. Whatever is lovely. That's my translation. That sounds kind of, I don't know, butterflies and flowers to me. You know, look at nature and think about that. Here's the word, that gets, the, the word that's used there is uh, prosphiles, which is, is, comes from two Greek words, towards something, inclined towards something, elevating for its positive outcome. And phileis, which is the same root from which we get uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love. Okay? So it, it's this, it, it means agreeable to your brother, amiable toward your brother. It, it, it enhances camaraderie. Here's, here's the way he's saying it. It brings out the positive about your brother. And your brother is not just your physical brother or even your spiritual brother. It's just the people in your life, your co-humans. It brings out the best about them. Okay, you go, okay, I don't know what that means. Here's what it means. Let me ask you this. What do you think about your next door neighbor? Just pause and think about it. Okay, now for some of us in the room, we just went, oh, good friends. Hang out with them some. And for other of us, we went, oh. Or that one across the street or the one down or the one who calls the police every time a dog barks or whatever it might be. What do you think about them? What is your thought assessment? What do you do with the visual that you have of them? To think about what is lovely means or prosteles here is when you're asked what you think about them, you focus on that which if they heard it, it would make them feel complimented. It would make them smile. It's the positive part. There is not a... I know you're going to argue with this. There's not a single human being you know or have met who doesn't have something, something that you can celebrate about them. Well, one day out of every 30, they don't smell bad. Okay, that's a start. There is something because they are reflectors of the image of God. They carry him. Even if they're the worst sinner you know, they still bring glory to their God just by existing. So do you think about, you, we choose to think, we choose to focus on that about the people around us, which is if they heard that we were thinking about them that way, they would smile. Can I just throw this out? Do you know that's how God chooses to think about you? He does. He chooses to think of you. He celebrates you. The Bible talks about how he sings over his children. They're he rejoices over his children. He finds that which is worth celebrating about them. Jesus was constantly complimenting people who were separated from him, who were sinners, but he found that which he, God focused on him and he loved them for that. He saw the potential of who they are and he does that with you. When you, God thinks of you right now, if we can use it in human terms, right now, if, he, if, we, were, if we were to say, send down an email and tell us what do you think of that person in that sec- section right there? And he would say, well, here's some cool things about them. You would smile about what God most would focus on. He's just asking us to do the same with our thoughts. Here's the next word. Whatever is admirable. We're almost done. Look. And that word means, literally, means to speak well of someone, something. Euphony- euphemism comes from this. The, the thought itself, the thought itself is worthy to be brought out and displayed. You'd be proud and eager to show the thought. Now, just think about that for a minute. Imagine that human beings were wired up 
with a projection unit so that when you walked around, above the head of the person, every person you saw, you saw what they're actually thinking at that moment. Okay, can you imagine that? So you walk around, okay, look, there's a person next to you, and you turn and you saw what they're thinking right now. There is not a single person in the room who would want that add-on, right? Not a single person. I think it was Louis C.K., the, the comedian, who said, ladies, if you could see the thoughts of the men in the room, you would slap us, and you would never stop slapping us. <laughs> this word means if, if you have a thought and that thought compels you to keep it hidden, you sentry out that thought. You screen it out. You choose to dispel with that thought. You don't let it take root in you. Focus on the thoughts that you would, if somebody goes, what are you thinking right now? You go, and you'd be okay to tell them exactly what you're thinking. If you feel compelled to hide a thought, it is not an admirable thought. Sometimes they talk about people saying, well, you know, I'm the kind of person who speaks my mind. I'm the kind of person who speaks my mind. As if that's innately a positive thing. Can I tell you, if you're the kind of person who, speak, who just likes to speak your mind, stop speaking your mind. Because most of what's in your mind is not helpful. Most of what's in mind is not helpful. Oh, yes, we want you to be honest. We want you to tell what you're really like. But focus your thoughts so it's not just I speak whatever's on my mind. I train my mind to focus on the things that are admirable. And then perhaps I'm not ashamed to speak them. Now, there's a couple summary statements that follow at, at the end of this. And you see it right after admirable. It says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. That's almost like it's, it's wrapping all, everything up, uh, before it up. And the grammar of this says, okay, everything here. Now, it says, let me just summarize that. By saying it this way, anything that is excellent, anything that's praiseworthy. And those two words are very, very simple. The word for excellent means moral, have moral virtue. It reflects God's character, his character. Any thought you have that you could, let's put it this way. Can you picture God thinking about what you're thinking about? Can you picture God in his holiness holding on to the thought? If it's excellent, that's what that is. It reflects the character of God. He would think it. The second word, praiseworthy, is it reflects God's design and instructions for how life's done. This is the best it can be done. This is the way it's supposed to be. So its character is reflected in what you think about or his, or, or his prescription for how life is done. If you can picture God doing it or it being done for the glory of him. Those are the focuses. Now, he says, I'm going to skip over this part in verse 9 because we actually talked about this when we had the four chairs. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put in practice. It has to do with the mentoring of this. Paul the Apostles is saying, you've seen this done. And you've watched, the context of that is, is actually these, this way of thinking. You've seen it modeled. Do this. And then look at, we're going to end with what he says that happens. When we do that, here's what happens. The God of peace will be with you. Now, notice something about that. Maybe, maybe that phrase, the God of peace, looks familiar vaguely to you. Because if you look at chapter 4, verse 7, just a few verses up, it says, and he, he says, and the peace of God will, be, will guard you. Now, there's a construct here that's very interesting. In the first one, 
He's saying there is a peace that's available to you to experience. This peace is from God. It's sourced in him. It's unique to him. It only, the rest of the world doesn't even get it. They don't even understand the quality. There's a qualitative thing about the peace, the peace of God. Now, he says, you do this and the God of peace will be with you. It's not just that, it's not just you get this peace dispensed. God himself embeds his presence in your mind and in your heart in such a way that you don't just get the peace that he produces, you get him with you. You get him producing what he does there. He's present, he's bringing it, and it says, and it will be with you. Remember in verse 5 of chapter 4? The Lord is near. His joy, his peace, the contentment that I want, it's embedding itself from the inside out. Not just because he shoots it into me or ejects it into me or sprinkles it on me. He delivers it himself. The God of peace is with me. Remember that who that God is and what he does? That, that, that God is good. That God is in control. That God will prevail. And he, that God is with me. Paul's going to say, that will change your whole way of looking at your life. And with it, your experience of, your, of joy and peace and contentment. Let me just ask you about your thought life, all right? What, what sound and light waves, what impulses that have been fairly regular in your life or maybe occasional, would you say are worth inventorying and say, I think I need to build a wall about those? I think maybe I need to turn to a different source of light different source of sound, different impulse. I need to screen those out so that I can focus my thought formation around this, what's, what, what's true in this list. What would that be for you? Not for your friend or your spouse or your children. What about for you? Would you just, can I just boldly ask you, even in your thoughts right now, to incline your thoughts to a God who is present, who wants to give you joy and peace and just say to him, would you be so bold as to say to God, God, would you show me what you want me to screen out because it's not produce, it doesn't qualify? Would, would you ask him that even now? I, I'll warn you, you may not like all the answers that he might give. But what he gives will produce more joy and peace and contentment in your soul. What, what thought formations need cultivated in you? They need to be screened in. Assumptions about people that, that, that you can make that are positive about them. Things that reflect God's character in your way of thinking or your way of acting. What are those? This is not just an exercise to say, hey, get your mind out of the gutter. Hey, just be a better person. This is part of the process God gives us to say, when you live with me in this, watch what I'll do. Watch how I'll come and be present and I'm going to just, I'm just going to explode peace of mind to you. I'm going to explode joy in your mind. Because remember, that's where you really live. 